If there is no such thing as free will, how can we punish people for doing anything society would consider wrong? How can we say anybody is wrong? How can we say anybody is right? How can we help be held responsible for any of our actions? If we are all simply dancing to the tune of our DNA, we don't even have the devil to blame anymore. And if God has decreed us to simply dance like marionettes on a string, wouldn't he be unjust to condemn us? Doesn't this make God a petulant child? Let's explore the idea of a deterministic universe, God's sovereignty, and man's free will, and see what we can learn. I'm Matthew, the Christian Boomer, and welcome to another episode of Reconstructing Christianity. I'm convinced that it is part of human nature to avoid taking responsibility for any of our faults, failures, or bad decisions. That's just part of our makeup. The result is that we end up blaming Satan, God, luck, the universe, other people, anything we can find, just so we don't have to take responsibility. And yet, as Shakespeare said, the fault, dear Brutus, lies not in our stars, but in ourselves. The universe, the quantum uh, science view is that the universe is made up of particles that make up these cosmic strings and that from there, um, these particles are the building blocks of the entire universe and everything that's in the universe. Energy, matter, it, all of it. And it's their supposition that everything ha that happens, including our very behavior, is determined by the collisions and reactions of these various particles, kind of Think of the entire universe is nothing more than a giant game of pinball. And it's all random. And yet, it's also predetermined. Everything was put on its course at the time of the Big Bang. So, to kind of make this a little easier for you to understand... When you think that you chose chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla, or you decided to have vanilla on your apple pie at Thanksgiving rather than um, chocolate, that, was, that decision was actually predetermined at the Big Bang. You had nothing to do with it. You, you only think you made that decision. It was predetermined. Many people believe that they are that man therefore is not responsible for anything. There are no such thing as criminals because everything has been predetermined and we're just objects in the universe. We have no free will and so it's unfair to punish anyone who does wrong uh, because there really is no right or wrong. The evolutionary biologist view, people like uh, Richard Dawkins, 
they look and they say, well, all living creatures are made up of DNA. And all of the synapses, everything that happens with us is all predetermined according to our DNA. And therefore, we don't have any, any ability to control ourselves. It, it, we just simply dance to the tune of our DNA. The problem I have with both of them is that they both deny any possibility of anything outside of the physical universe. If they can't see it, if they can't measure it, if they can't observe it, then it simply doesn't exist. What I've watched, when I've watched these people, uh, because they cannot explain the why, they simply just say it's not important. It doesn't matter why something happens, and the reason is, is because they can't explain it. So since they can't explain it, it must not be important. They have a theology. Theology is simply the study of God. Whether you believe there's a God or not, uh, whether you actually, let me back that up, whether you state that you believe there's a God or not, that's a theology, because at the end of the day, they see themselves as God. Just sometimes listen to them. Most of them that I've ever listened to have set themselves up as the final authority. What they say is truth, and anyone who d disagrees with them is at best wrong and is probably delusional, maybe to the point that they need to be locked up. I will be the first to admit what I believe I take on faith. They do as well, but they won't admit that they take it on faith, that they also live by faith. I'm just saying, take a look at them, listen to them, and you will find that they make statements that they really can't back up with solid evidence. It, it's what they believe. Then when you come into the theological, stand, uh, theological part, you end up with what is called the hyper-Calvinist view. The Calvinist believes that man, to some degree, has free will, it's limited, and it's been, it has been corrupted because of Adam's sin. The hyper-Calvinist does not even believe that man has any kind of free will whatsoever. He combines logic and, and he cherry-picks scripture, and anything that disagrees with him, he just simply ignores If God's sovereignty, though, isn't absolute, then God isn't truly sovereign. Now, that's their position. I'm not saying that's mine. I'm saying that's their position, that God's sovereignty has to be absolute for God to be God. They love the scripture. Uh, among others, they love Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. But that's not a biblical view. The first thing we have to do is consider what do we mean by God's sovereignty and man's free will. Sovereignty is the idea that someone has rulership over a particular sphere of influence. 
to that way of thinking, man even has some sovereignty because he has rulership over certain spheres of influence. Free will is the idea that we can do what we want without answering to anyone else. The problem is that neither of these can be absolute. Even, And we're going to see here in just a minute, I'm going to show you, God's sovereignty cannot be absolute. Uh, first of all, sovereignty is a position. It's not an attribute. So, as such, with God, his sovereignty is not an attribute. It's his position in the universe. And certainly, he, as the creator of the universe, has sovereignty over it. He can do what he wants with it. But God's sovereignty is not absolute. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, it's limited by his character. God cannot do things that would go against who he is. So God does not act arbitrarily or without reason. To do so would mean acting against his immutability, his intelligence, his logic, and his reason. What do I mean by his immutability? That means God never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. We find that it's governed by his character. God's governed, first of all, by whatever is intrinsically right and proper, because that's God's nature. That's who he is. When we, it, God is not above the law. He's not below the law. God is the law. His very existence, he is law, just as he is holy and he is love. And these are things that are part of who God is. Uh, if, if for lack of a better way of describing it, those are characteristics that are part of God's DNA, if you will. Now, God doesn't have DNA. I'm not going to get into that, please. Don't take things so literal. I'm trying to take something that's an infinite concept and bring it down to something we can kind of understand. Um, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. God's word is not sent out arbitrarily. It accomplishes the purpose God sent it out for. God is a God of order and law. And we find this in Job 38, 33, Psalms 119, 90 through 91, Proverbs 3, 19, Jeremiah 31, 35, Jeremiah 33, uh, verses 25 and 26. God cannot lie. God loves his creation. He always wants what's best for it. God cannot be God, it, God cannot tempt us with evil. So all of these things are limits on his sovereignty. God can also limit his sovereignty voluntarily. The incarnation is an illustration of of God limiting his uh, sovereignty. While God the Father remained in charge and in heaven, 
Jesus Christ took on human flesh and was made of a woman made under the law. We can see here that God's sovereignty does have limits, and these are limits he chose to impose upon himself. Then let's look at man's free will. First of all, we have free will, but it's limited. Matthew 6.24 says uh, that we're going to serve one of two masters. We're either going to serve mammon or money, or we're going to serve the Lord. So just as God is limited by his character in his free will or his sovereignty, so is man. Man has always had the same choice of masters, even going back to the garden. First is self. This is what Satan offered in the garden, and Jesus called mammon or money. It's something that we are ruled by. We're ruled by the physical. We're ruled by our flesh, as the Bible calls it. Paul says in the last part of Romans 7, that which I would do, I do not, and that which I don't want to do, that's what I do. And he observed that the flesh and the spirit are constantly warring against each other. God wants to make us his children, but we have to humble ourselves and trust him. The other thing is, we're limited by our lack of knowledge. We don't know the future, for instance. And so, and, and we don't know everything. We're not able to see the consequences of our actions. So while we may be able to make a choice, it's not necessarily a well-informed choice. And then the other part is, we are unable to control our passions. The Bible always talks about how we are controlled by our lust. And I have always taken the position that lust is love turned inward. True love is when we willingly look out and we want what is genuinely best for the other person. With lust, we want what's best for ourselves. So what are some difficulties here with God's absolute sovereignty and man's free will? First of all, if God is all good, omniscient, and sovereign all over all of creation, how can he allow bad things to happen to good people? This misses several points. First of all, it assumes that people are good, and that's based on the actions. And yet, in uh, 1 Samuel, God had sent uh, Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul. And in going there, to, he went, sent him to uh, the house of Jesse, and one by one, God rejected everybody until they got to David. And in that story, God tells Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Now, if you're big Marvel fans, you can relate to this because what made, um, what made Steve Rogers different than everybody else was his heart. And that's what God looks at, is he looks at our heart, and is our heart in the right place? 
So man looks on the outward appearance and judges people good or bad by their actions. The second thing is it sets the creation up as the judge of the creator. So let me ask you something. Can a toddler judge the actions of that child's parents? Obviously not. A two-year-old doesn't have all the information and doesn't have the wisdom to make good decisions. In their eyes, their parents have done something wrong. But the truth is, the parents are looking at a much bigger picture, and we're assuming here for a moment that we're talking about good parents who are working hard to raise good, responsible children. And the children get incensed because they feel an injustice has been done. But the parents have the whole picture and know better. The other part of this is if we can blame God for everything, it absolves us of the consequences of our actions. So let me ask you this. Is God responsible when people build homes and cities in floodplains? Then they get flooded out. Okay, God, maybe he sent the flood in the sense that um, he set up the environment in ways that the water floods. Most of us know that floods are actually very good. They replenish nutrients and moisture to the, um, to the soil, and so they are important. But if you build there, you're going to get flooded out at some point. If you build your homes, if, if you decide you're going to live along the Gulf Coast or the Atlantic Coast, hurricanes are going to come. They're just part of the natural phenomena. If you live in California, you're going to have mudslides and you're going to have fire and you know those things are coming. So then when they come, why is it God's fault? If you build homes, even if you're, you think that somehow you're honoring God by building um, these huge cathedrals and earthquakes come and knock them down, is that really God's fault or is it time to take some responsibility? Let's remember, if you know your Bible, David wanted to build a temple to God, and God said, did I ask you to do that? No, I didn't. God doesn't dwell in temples. God doesn't dwell in buildings. You know, if we gather together and have church out in the open, God is just as honored and just as much there. I I love the story um, my dad used to tell. People would come by and they would give him a call when he was a pastor. And they'd say, I'd like to see your church. And he would be, well, I can show you the building, but the church will be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. That's the church. The people are the church. There used to be an old expression, especially in the hills and in the south, 
that the church building was called the meeting house. It's where people gathered to worship the Lord in community serv- uh, in, in community services. So it doesn't matter whether you worship in a school or a dedicated building, that's not where God lives. The Spirit lives within each of us. So why would God allow his people to suffer? Well, first of all, if we take a look at Paul, who talks about three different times he asked the Lord to take away the thorn in his flesh, and the Lord said no, he came to realize it was to teach humility. Sometimes we need things to keep us humble. The second thing is ministry. Uh, Look at the book of Job. Now, God never directly told Job why he allowed him to suffer the way he did. And yet, as you read the book of Job, you realize that was a ministry, and God used Job through his suffering to honor God and bring glory to God. And then punishment. Sometimes God sends it as punishment. In David's case, he committed adultery and murder with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed in battle. And the result was, for the rest of his life, David suffered. Uh, He had four sons that were killed, starting with the baby um, that that God took. And he lost his kingdom and ended up on the run from his oldest son, Absalom. I mean, tragedy after tragedy after that. And that was because of the seeds David had sown. And then testing. Uh, We saw that with Abraham, where God tells him, take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him. And God was testing him. And then I would offer one more thing, and that is um, sometimes we suffer as a result of our own actions, and when God steps in, he's actually diminishing the natural consequences of our actions. Yes, we're saved. Maybe we're saved, maybe we're not, but Sometimes we suffer because of our own actions. You know, you if you smoke, don't be surprised if you end up with COPD. And it's certainly a financial drain. So finally, we come to the last thing, and that is, what about free will, man's free will, God's sovereignty, and the idea of salvation? Now, certainly... The book of Ephesians teaches that we are dead in trespasses and sin. And that word dead has several meanings, by the way. Sometimes it means without life, just a corpse. Um, It also means separation. Now, the Bible is also very clear, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't do anything to earn salvation. But Jesus taught we are able to recognize our lost and depraved condition 
and we are able to turn and beg for help. And that is all the faith that is required on our part is enough faith to do what that uh, what that publican in the book of Luke did, praying beside the Pharisee at the temple, and just be able to say, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. The Bible is clear that we are, are born with enough light that we can recognize our lost condition. When it comes to God's sovereignty and the fact that it, you know, one of the most famous is that um, God said he would harden Pharaoh's heart. And the Bible also says that he raised Pharaoh up, that he could show his power through Pharaoh. That does not absolve Pharaoh from his responsibility. Pharaoh, we can see, if you go back to the story, you can see Pharaoh was constantly trying to come up with compromises. Pharaoh saw himself as God, and the true God said, okay, we'll have a test of wills. Pharaoh could have humbled himself, but God, in his foreknowledge, knew that Pharaoh would not humble himself. Keep in mind, God cannot, in his sovereignty, he cannot act against his character. What does Peter say? But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise to us, but is long-suffering to us, not willing any should perish. So God is holy. He can't allow sin into his presence. God is loving. He, doesn't, he always wants what's best for his creation. He's sovereign in that he gets to make the final decision, but his final decision will always fit with his foreknowledge, with his holiness, and with his love and wisdom. So I think that's something we need to keep in mind. Do we have free will? Yes, to a point. We can't save ourselves that's the point where all we can do is recognize our need and ask for help. You say, well, that's so easy. Well, actually, I wrote a whole book, and that's the subtitle of it. Salvation is simple, not easy. It's simple. You want to be saved, it's simple. You go to God, you say, I'm a miserable, lost sinner, Please save me. It's that simple. But the reason it's not easy is because it means totally swallowing all of our pride. And we don't like doing that. And that's the problem. And that's why so many go to hell. And that's the problem with accepting free will. Because with accepting free will... We have to accept responsibility. I hope this has helped you to understand the subject a little bit more. At least this is my view on it. I know there are others who would disagree. Some would wish that I went more into depth. Um, but hopefully this has helped you a bit. And if it has, I would ask 
would you go to the website, uh, which is thechristianboomer.com, and that's all one word, thechristianboomer.com, and um, click on the PayPal and consider making a donation. Ongoing donations are super appreciated, uh, but even a one-time gift would be a big help. You can also shoot me an email at the Christian uh, Boomer. Let's see, wait a minute. The Christian Boomer at gmail.com and uh, send me an email, question, encouragement, comment. And of course, in the uh, wherever you get the podcast, you can make comment as well. So um, until next time, Lord bless you. And please, stay in the Word.